rest, like, let's kick our feet back and just, you know, watch TV. Um, but a season of resting in the Lord where we're going to be in a place where we can just be poured into for a while, be ready. But know that, as I have taught you, that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're not called just to sit. Those seasons of rest aren't forever, you know. So when God calls and says, okay, it's time, I want you to do this in this capacity, whatever the case is, I will be there saying, here I am, Lord, use me. But for this season, uh, that's what we're doing. It's very difficult. It's hard. I love each and every single one of you. Uh, keep looking at your faces, looking at the stories, um, that the, the transformation that God has done. Um, it has been amazing. Seeing my children grow here, because we've been pastoring for five years, but we've been here for about eight, nine years. Um, and so uh, it, it's, it's difficult. And I know next week is really, really, really going to hit me and my wife. I've already started to cry. But it's, it's going to be difficult. So I would just ask that, man, make sure you're here. And if you got someone that normally sits next to you that's not here, send them a text message. They may not know. Those on Facebook may not know. But I would love, as a departing gift, to see faces that I haven't seen. I know some people that are close to me that used to be there. I've already communicated with them. Uh, Pastor, uh, I'm going to call you Pastor uh, John DeLong. Uh, is going to be here. He says, I'm going to be there, brother. So, man. That's your job today, you know. Uh, reach out to people. Say, hey, is Pastor Lewis and his family's last Sunday here. Make sure you come on out. Amen? That'd be great. That'd be great. Besides seeing the Bears, I don't know, because now Justin's hurt. So I'm getting more depressed. But let's get into the sermon. Let's bow our heads really quickly, get our hearts and our, and our minds in the right place. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Jesus, for this time. We thank you for this opportunity uh, you've given us, Father God. Thank you uh, that we were just able to celebrate uh, the holiday of Thanksgiving. Thank you, Father God, uh, for allowing us another day, another Sunday to be here in your house, worshiping as one body, as one church, Father God, uh, receiving now of your word. And now I pray, God, as we uh, continue to receive of your word today, that you would go on ahead and, and just ready our hearts right now, God. Ready our hearts, Father Lord Jesus Christ, for uh, the word that you have for us, God. I pray, Lord, that you would take all the distractions, even the distraction of this news, Father God, Lord, that you would push it to the side, Lord God, that we would focus, Lord, on what it is that you have for us, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would go on ahead and, and, and open our eyes to see what it is that you want to show us today. I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears to receive whatever word that you have for us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts, that you would make that, that soil of our hearts so good, Lord Jesus, that as your words that are like seeds, Lord, are casted upon our hearts, Lord, that our hearts will receive it, Jesus. And that we will say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with this message that you have given us today, God? All of this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and the church of God says, amen, amen, and amen. So today we are concluding the sermon series that is titled the what? Nine-week challenge. Nine-week challenge, and man, it's crazy. It feels like it was just yesterday we started week number one. Nine-week challenge uh, in which we have been challenging the church to take these principles. These are not all disciplines and principles that every faith-believing, Bible-believing Christian disciple of Jesus Christ has to instill in their lives. They're, they're, they're more, but these are some that as a church we said, man, if you can take these principles, if you can take these disciplines and begin to apply them in your life, you can strive to be a great disciple of Jesus Christ, a disciple who makes disciples that makes disciples. 
And so nine weeks, and we've been talking about these things, and today is the conclusion of that. And we're going to be speaking a little bit about the discipline of stewardship. Everyone say stewardship. I've titled this message, It's All His Anyway. researching this, I read a story of a woman, and this is, this is a true story. It's a woman who had uh, finished her shopping, she was out shopping, uh, getting all her stuff that she needed, and as she was returning to her car, as she approached that turn, she noticed that there were four men inside, four men inside her vehicle, so she, she dropped her bags right away, she, she went into her, her purse, she grabbed a handgun that she had that was loaded, with a forceful voice, she went on ahead and said, I have a gun, and I know how to use it, so get out of my car. As you can imagine, those men didn't wait for a second invitation. They went on ahead, they got into the car, and they ran as fast as they could. The woman, understandably shaken, right? You would be shaken like this. Quickly loaded her shopping bags, and she got into the car, and she, she just wanted to get out there as fast as she could. But no matter how hard she tried, her hands were shaking so much she could not get the key into the ignition. And then it hit her. This isn't my car. This isn't my car. She goes on ahead and she, she looks to the left, she looks to the right, and she realizes that her car was actually parked four to five spaces to the other side. So she got out, she looked around to see if the men were near she loaded the bags into her own car this time, and she drove to the police station. Why? To go on ahead and turn herself in. What a nice old lady. She's telling the story to the, to the death third, uh, uh, sergeant, and after hearing her story, the sergeant nearly fell out of his chair laughing. He pointed at the other end of the counter, and he says, there's four men right there that are reporting a car theft. The description is a woman with glasses, with curly white hair, less than five feet tall, carrying a large hand, uh, uh, a gun. And to everyone's good surprise, there was no charges that were brought. All right? But, man, what a mix-up. And the lady was prepared, but what a mix-up. You see, she thought that it was her car. But the reality is that that car belonged to someone else. The truth is, God owns everything. Turn to your neighbor and let them know God knows everything. He owns everything. He owns that lady's car and the, the one that she mistakenly got in as well. And he owns everything that we call ours. He owns it all. I want you to look at what David says. If you're taking notes, you could just write down these passages, go back home and read them. If you have your Bible, you could open them up to Psalms chapter 24, verse 1 through 2. This is what David, David says about this. He says, the earth is the Lord's. Who? The Lord's. And everything in it. What? Everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. See, David's pretty plain and simple, but he lets us know. Haggai uh, uh, narrows his focus somewhat when he talks about God's possession of wealth. It says in, 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 in Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, it says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, 
declares the Lord Almighty. If you go over to the New Testament, Paul notes that God not only owns the world, but he actually also owns all the wealth that is in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, do, not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You know how people walk around and say, man, this is my life. This is my body. My choice. The Bible doesn't say that. And I'm going to get in a little bit into what role you play. But the Bible says that everything belongs to God, including yourself. Specifically, when you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, when you say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, you no longer are the owner of yourself. God is the one who owns you. You know, it's like when you go to, to a hotel, you might give your bags to a steward who takes them to your room. Now, although he has possession of your bags, as he's going into the elevator, getting off the floor, walking into the hotel room, that doesn't mean that they are his bags, right? You just entrusted your bags and their safekeeping to him for a short period of time. See, the foundational principle of stewardship is that God is the owner of it all. God is the owner of it all. So what does that say? about our relationship to the owner and the stuff that is entrusted to us. What does this say? First point, if you're taking notes. He is the owner, and I am the manager. All right? Let's understand that. When we're talking about stewardship, when we're talking about our lives, everything that our lives consist of, okay, our bodies, our, our wealth, all of those things, we have to understand that you are not the owner of that. Yes, your name is on the bank account. Yes, your name is on the title, the deed of the house, whatever the case is. Yes, your name is on the marriage certificate. Yes, your name is on the birth certificate of your children. All of that stuff is there for legal purposes. But as a Christ follower, understand that God is the owner and you are the manager of all those things that I just said. Everything that we have today comes from it is his, I own nothing. And when we start to understand those, that principle, we start to look at things a little bit different. David, going back to David, he said that the world and everything in it belongs to God. The world and everything in it belongs to God. I am not the owner of the things in my life. I have to understand that. I'm not the owner of my wife. I'm not the owner of my children. I'm not the owner of my home. As a steward, I am merely just a manager. As a steward, everything that your name is under, you are merely just the manager. And if you believe that you are the owner, then you're going to constantly be in conflict with God over what to do with the things you have. You see? You know, sometimes, like specifically in the area of our finances, right, and in our giving and tithing and stuff, how many times, and you don't have to raise your hand, have you been in conflict with God? Man, should I give? Should I give? Can I, can I afford to give? Man, I just got this check. Should I give my 10% or whatever the case is? Should I give of my time? Should I give of, of anything? If you believe that it is all yours, you're going to be in conflict with God, with what it is that he wants you to do with that stuff. 
But the conflict disappears and the freedom overtakes your life when you understand, no, wait a minute, everything that I have belongs to God. I'm merely just a man. These funds that I have belongs to God. I'm just a manager of it. Now let's take a test right here to just make sure that we all understand. All right, so if you made $400 last week and you come to church next Sunday, how much of that $400 belongs to God? correct answer is all of it. All of it. I, I just said everything. And I, you're with me. You're with me. All right. That's fine. That shows you how well us, me and Anthony are, are, are kind of folded in the whole thing. All of it. The $400 belongs to God. And just like I said, some of you guys said 10%. You know, that $400 is $40. Um, you know, the rest is mine. But the, rea- the reality, the truth is that it all belongs to God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, it cautions this. It says this, pay attention. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. How, how, how much does that sound like to me? Just be real. How many times have we said that? Let me read it again. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But then listen to what 18 says. But, there's a but. But, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. The reason why you have the capability, the brain, the position that you have, you go to work, whatever. The the reason why you have all of those things is only and only because God has given you the ability to do those things, not yourself. Because in a snap of the finger, you can be wheelchair bound and can't do what you normally would do. In a snap of a finger, you can receive notice to the company that you have given your whole life and all these hours into. You sacrifice family events so that you can be there to help them make deadlines meet. And in a snap of the finger, you've been released from that. God gives you that opportunity. Oh, but I have this. Well, I'm the one that went to school. I'm the one that studied. I'm the one that sacrificed. Yeah, only because God gave you the ability to do each and every single one of those things. It becomes very easy to become a good steward when you realize the conflict to begin with. Where you're just managing what belongs to you. Number two, if you're taking notes. As a manager, I have a divine responsibility. As a manager, I have a divine responsibility. If God is the owner, then I am the manager whom he trusted with his property. That's a key word right there. Feel privileged with what you have. Yeah, you should feel good with the things that God has given you. Why? Because he says, I've given this to you because I trust you that you will manage it well. We have to learn to think, therefore, like we are God's managers, right? A manager, what does he do? He oversees the owner's assets for the owner's benefit. 
A manager carries no sense of entitlement to the assets he or she manages. The job of a manager is to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and then carry out his will. Right? When you work, if you are a manager and wherever it is that you work, you understand it's not yours. It's not your company. But the owner has meetings with you maybe and tells you, yeah, this is what we want to do. These are our goals. Now make sure you go on ahead and you have the people that are on you, under you do what it is that they have to do. In a restaurant, an owner says, okay, you know what, I can't, I'm going to give this responsibility to my manager to make sure that you are hiring, that you are interviewing the people, to make sure that you're hiring the best people possible to make sure that this business continues to be a success. We have to look like that. We have to understand that. We are the manager. Say, I am a manager. We are a manager of God. And this understanding, in reality, it affects how we live. In the area of stewardship, when we understand this, if we can understand this, it changes everything in the area of giving. First and foremost, the first thing it does is, when we understand this principle that we are a manager of what God owns, that what we have belongs to God, it allows us to give abundantly. We can give abundantly. Why, 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 why you know, people sometimes say, no, you can take more. Ah, you can take it all. It doesn't belong to me. I don't own the joint. We can give abundantly. King David, then at this time, he was the most powerful man at, on earth, and he understood this owner-manager relationship. After receiving a, a tremendous offering, this is how David responded to God. You can find this on, in the first book of Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 14. It says this. This is King David speaking. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. In other words, man, we're able to give so much because, not because of us, because you have given to us. Because God, you have given to me and my hands, I can now go on ahead and give. Because I'm just a manager. I'm just the owner. David was thinking like a steward, a manager, not an owner. When you're an owner, it changes. Because you're, you're now Okay, do we have enough? How much is this going to cost, right? But as a manager, you, you, you're playing with, you know, let's put it this way for any of those that like sports. You're, you're playing with, with house money. This is another story I found about this gentleman by the name of, of Jerry Kaven. Very successful man in his family. They have successful restaurant chains. He owns two banks, a ranch, a farm. And real estate ventures. So he's, he's loaded, right? He's got a lot of success in the business world. And at the age of 59, uh, Jerry was searching. Now he says, man, I got it all. He was searching for a nice Lakeland uh, retirement home. But he started sensing the Lord, his owner, right? Because God is our owner. He started sensing that maybe, my, maybe the owner, maybe God has other plans. Instead of me just throwing my money on this, maybe he has other plans. And so God let uh, this, I'm going to read you a quote that, that he uses. He says this. I'll read it word for word. He says, God led us to put our money and time overseas, Jerry said. It was exciting. Before we gave token amounts, now we put substantial money into missions. We often go to India. 
When asked what changed the Cavens' attitude towards giving, the answer came quickly. Think about it. Once we understood that we were giving away God's money to do God's work, we discovered a peace and joy we never had back when we thought it was ours. Beautiful. When they asked him, what is it that changed? Why is it now, now you're so free to give? Why is it that you are giving abundantly? He says, we, once we understood that we're giving away God's money to do God's work, when we understood, when they understood that, that, that it was now God's money that they were giving, they discovered that now they had peace. They had joy that they never had when they thought it was their money. Because when I'm giving away my money, man, that's hard. Man, that's difficult. What if something happens to me next year that now I don't have the funds because I gave this to the Lord? No. When you understand, man, I'm giving what belongs to God, so, you know, everything God's going to do. God's going to make a way. God's going to provide. Not because you're doing it like, oh, I got to give. But, man, I'm giving abundantly because I get to Understanding the key stewardship principle that we are the master and God is the steward. The other thing that we get to, a way that we get to give when we understand that principle is now not only do we, uh, are we able to give abundantly, but we can give sacrificially. We can, give, we can sacrifice with, with, with our giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tells of the Macedonian Christians and their sacrificial giving. Remember, we talked about this. Uh, a couple weeks ago. I'll read it again if you forgot. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Remember, the Macedonian church, they were in rough shape. They were in deep poverty. Everything that they had was kind of taken away. But yet when they heard of a mission, listen, there's a church, the church, the early church, the first church that is in Jerusalem. The Christians are struggling. They don't have the funds to do what they have to do. They said, man, we're going to give to the Lord. This is what Paul says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia during a severe testing. How bad was the testing? Severe. By affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. They didn't keep their deep poverty, keep them from being generous because they understood the principle that, hey, what we have, even though it's very small, doesn't belong to us. I'm just the manager of whether it's a little or a lot, he's the owner, I'm the manager. He says, I testify that on their own. Who made them do it? Nobody. On their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us inconsistently, insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's grace. This is, a, this is a, a group of people that had barely anything, yet they were begging to give, to give sacrificially. Why? Because they understood the principle of stewardship. When we are sold on mission, then God is our steward. How could they give so generously? Why? In extreme poverty, they didn't see poverty as an, an exception from giving. Well, I'm sinful. Just because I'm poor doesn't mean I don't give. They simply refused to miss out on the sacrifice, the sacrificial or satisfaction of giving sacrificially. I wanted to give. I'm going to give because this belongs to God. Joyful giving is a sign that the giver understands the owner, manager, 
relationship. So when you give and when you give sacrificially of, of whatever it might be, that's a good indication that you understand the principle of the owner-manager relationship. Cheerful giving can only come from a heart set on things above, not on earthly things. God loves a cheerful giver, the Bible says, because such givers, you know what they're investing in? Not in their 401k, not in what's in front of them. They're investing in heavenly things, which reap eternal dividends. When the tabernacle, I'll tell you really quickly, I'll tell you a story. When the tabernacle was being built in the Old Testament, people got so caught up in the joy of their heavenly investments that they had to be restrained from giving money. Can you believe that? People were giving so much at a specific time because they saw what was being done for heavenly things that they had to be restrained. Now we got to tell people, please give. Let me read it to you really quickly. Exodus chapter 36, verse 4 through 7. I taught on, on the tabernacle before. Remember, it was like it, it was a place in which they, they built and it kind of symbolized really kind of like heaven and the presence of God was in the, in the holies of holies. And then when it was time to go on ahead and God said it's time to move, then, then, then they would have to pack everything up and move it. The Ark of the Covenant uh, would be moved, and, and, and there was a certain way to hold that because if you touched it when you weren't supposed to, there was, there was so much power in there that you would just drop down. This is what, this is, uh, what I was talking about. It says, then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work for the sanctuary, this is found in Exodus chapter 36, verse 4 through 7, came one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord commanded to be done. After Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. Let no man or, whim, or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. When the people found out, Hey, we need this because God gives them a description of how much of each and every type of material were, was needed to build that. People were going on ahead and making it or going out and searching for it. And they, I want to give, I want to give, I want to give to accomplish this mission of building the tabernacle that the Lord wants us to build. There was so much stuff that they said, okay, wait, 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 we got enough. Moses basically had to get up and cry out, enough already. And make a proclamation. We give because everything is God's to begin with. The scripture teaches us both by mandate and model that we are to give abundantly, we're supposed to give joyfully, and we're supposed to give sacrificially. Why would this be bad as a byproduct of giving to our 401k? Or discipline our kids? And the third and final point, and this is very important, very, very important. manager, and who's the manager? We are. The manager will give eternally. And as a manager, one day you'll be pulled in front of your bosses, the owners, right, the president, the boss, and he's going to start giving you a review. A review, an eternal review, your final review, with the biggest pay raise or biggest cut. 
manager or this is not. You are the manager. God is the owner. He loves you so much. He's entrusted you with things to use for his glory. But one day, God is going to ask you, the owner is going to ask you, what is it that you did with what I gave you? We are held accountable to God because he, as the owner, has expectations of the manager, right? What kind of owner would you be? Your business wouldn't survive. If you let your managers do whatever it is that they wanted to do with your resources. Someone has to give an account. The owner has complete rights to a full disclosure of what's been done with his property. See, our managing his property will undergo a job performance evaluation. In Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, it says this. You then. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all, everyone say all, stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, here it is, each of us will give an account of ourselves to say it's going to be a random selection? It says each and every single one of you. Look to your neighbor and says, you're going to have to give an account. Even if you're small, each will give a personal account to God. God will want to know what we have done with the possessions that he has entrusted into our care. He's going to want to know. The wealth that he's allowed you to have, what'd you do with that? The gifts that he's given you, what did you do with that? The talents that he's given you, what did you do with that? Here are a few areas of inspection. All right? So take note. First area of inspection is going to be ourselves. The owner, God, is going to check how devoted we have been to him. He's going to check. The reality is, he knows us. And there's restaurants, there's cameras in every store right now. The owner's always watching. But he wants to hear from your mouth. What is it that you have done with that? How devoted have you been to God? That's why Paul... That's why he goes out ahead and he writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Paul says a, a proper and a spiritual act of worship is to give yourself fully to your owner to be used as his, ser- as his servant. That's why we always say, man, God, use me. Remember that uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, go to God and say, God, use me as your vessel. How do you want to use me today? Because I am your servant. You are the owner. I am the manager. What do you want to do in my life today? How can I bless you? The other area of inspection that the owner is going to do is with our possessions. After he looks at how devoted you've been, now he's going to look over to our possessions. 
going to hold us accountable for what we've done with the things that he has entrusted to us. My son, my daughter, I've given all of this to you. What have you done? What have you done with it? Have you used every one of the resources that I gave you to go out ahead and multiply it by giving it sacrificially and allowing others to know about me? Or have you said, no, I'm going to keep this all for me because you don't understand the principle of stewardship. Because you don't understand that God is the owner and you are just the manager. One of the final parables that Jesus gave, you might be familiar with this, it concerned a master who entrusted his possessions to three servants while he was away. And the master, after returning, held each and every single one of his servants responsible for how he used or invested what it was that was entrusted to him. I've given you this talent, my son, my daughter. What have you done? I've given you the ability to, to be financially in a good position. What have you done with that? The other area that God is going to look at and he's going to inspect when we're in that final review with the owner is our time. What did you do with your time? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. This is what it says. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We will have to be held accountable for how it is that we use each day that the Lord has made and given us. Every day that you wake up, there's a purpose for that day. And you're going to be held accountable. I will be held accountable for how we use our time. Ever had those days where you're like, man, I feel like Cornelius just said such a bunch of stuff this week. Man, I didn't do anything, but man, she's in Axel, 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 Axel came out, and I binged it. Nothing wrong with that, but, the, but, but what you have to understand is if you wake up in the morning and say, God, what is it that you want to do with me today? What is the purpose? You've allowed me to open up my eyes, to take a deep breath, to be alive. There's got to be a reason, and there is. The last area that he's going to probably inspect is going to be with our, our abilities. Our abilities. The owner is going to examine what we have done with the gifts, with the abilities that he has granted us. God, our owner, expects us to take the spiritual gifts and abilities that he has handed to us to use them for our glory. us to use them for his glory. God, God has entrusted to our management time, our possessions, our abilities, and even our very being all to be used for his glory. You will be accountable for these things and, and how you use them. And God, the reality is this. Can I tell you something? God's got one of those owners that says, yeah, yeah, I know you weren't the best at this, and so that, 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 that's okay. It's okay if my business is is kind of mediocre. Absolutely not. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the creator of every single thing has high expectations. High expectations that we will serve him and that we will grow to think and care and love like Jesus. Amen? 
So in conclusion, as we get ready to end today, if the examination were tonight, I'm going to get this phone right now. Bing. The owner notifies you. Tonight is tonight for our examination. You understand what I'm saying? The reality is that it's an ugly situation. You wake up now and you're in a glorious bed. If the examination were tonight, if the owner called you to give an accounting for all of these things that we talked about, what would the record say about your examination? Think about that. Think about that. This, this is where the, ser- the sermon starts hitting home when we get into the application part. If God says today is the day you will meet me, what would your record say in the area of truth? In the area of did I, do, did I live my life as a man of all that I have? Or did I live my life in Would it reflect a humble belief that you are only managing what it is that he owns? Would, would joy and cheer mark your life as one who gives genera- in a generous way because you know that your investment is gaining heavenly treasure for you? You see, some of us, the reality is that we need to rethink how we're spending our resources for Christ and his kingdom. We've got to rethink it. We've got to rethink it because a lot of us, when we really look at it, we're going to say, man, I've been building mine. My kingdom the whole time. This kingdom that, again, in the blink of an eye, remember the white-haired lady? She was mistakenly went into the wrong car. She wielded a gun and sent the passengers scurrying around. But hers, the reality is it was, it was an honest mistake. It wasn't her car, and so because of that, she wasn't held accountable for her, for her actions, but we will be held accountable. You can guarantee that. Or as being promised, the word says, we will die and then judgment will come. And we joke around, and, we were, and my wife and I were leading the youth, and, you know, at that time it was always YOLO, YOLO. Everybody, all the kids would be like, YOLO, you only live once. Hey, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. YOLO. Hey, you shouldn't go out late. YOLO, I I, I preached a little sermon to them. I said, I got something for you. It's YOLO TYC. Yeah, we're trying to figure it out. So you understand that. The Bible says you only live once, then judgment. It's going to come. It's going to come. We're going to be held accountable for all that we've done, all that we call ours. And remember, it's actually All that we call ours is his. That's why when you pray, Lord, it's in your will. Lord, in your hands I place your family. In your your will I place your church. In your place, in in your will, let let, let my life be what you want. If it's your will that I take this step of action, let it be because it's your life. God, my life belongs to you, so you tell me what it is that you want me to do. Why? Because all we call ours is what's his. You are mine. You are mine. My prayer is that we do. My prayer is that we do properly manage what it is that God has entrusted to us. So my challenge to you is simple. At some point this week, 
take some time. If, it's, if you're single, you're by yourself, go, go by yourself. If you're married, go with your spouse. Take some time where there's no distractions. If you want to grab a pe- piece of paper, go on ahead and, and write down, how am I? Or if it's a, a family, a married couple, how are we spending our resources for the kingdom of God? And if that includes maybe bringing a budget to your budget, Look at your bank bank account. Look at how where you've been investing your time. All these things, all these areas. Look at it. Look at it. In the, in the last seven days, how much time have I given given to, to 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 the Lord, or really seeking to do what God has called me to do? Or how much time have I just really just worked and done TV or whatever the case is? Or my finances, man? How much money have I blown? Man, I just got paid. Friday and it's Monday and it's all gone. Okay, that's fine. You're a manager. But where did all those funds go? Be honest with yourself. Write them down. And if you say, wow, this really was it, as if though I know, I'm the owner of my time. If I'm the owner of my money, if I'm the owner of my time, I'm the owner of everything. you, go before God. Say, Lord, just like the song says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for making it all about me when it's truly all about you. Say, God, help me. Help me. Help me make some steps of action. Maybe you got to cut certain things out of your time, out of your finances, all these things to make sure that you are using that time finances, whatever the case is that you're using it, let's just say you're using it to also make sure that it is for his kingdom. God, how do you want me to use it that you give me? Amen? And as we all rise up, and before we dismiss, I want you to think about that. I want you to be asking yourself in your mind, as Jason just sings this song one time through, remembering that it's all about him, right? And just think, have I been selfish? What God, what area of my life do you want to bring up to me so that I, I could understand so that I can start working towards being more of that man? Today, today's the day that I hang, hang, hang up the keys of ownership that I've been walking around with. Give me the keys of being a manager and help me be a